Good morning, everyone. I, uh, my name is Zane Parsley. I'm on the pastoral staff here at Dallas Bible Church, and uh, I'm filling in for Aaron this week. He's, he's visiting, uh, visiting a worship candidate out of state today, and originally we had planned to show a video from Pastor Aaron that he filmed on Wednesday about the election, but he, um, we pulled it because he predicted Kanye as the winner. He did not. Uh, we did pull it because it didn't work this morning. Um, but I can tell you what he was going to tell us, and, uh, and that is this, that there is a lot of unrest in our church and in our nation. You don't have to look far to know that. And if you know uh, much about what happens within a church, you know that there are a wide variety of opinions. And uh, what Pastor Aaron was going to call us to this morning is prayer. Um, we can talk a lot. Don't we love to talk? If you've been on Twitter, you know we love to talk. Uh, we can talk a lot, but we don't pray nearly as much as we should. So Pastor Aaron wants to call our church to prayer, prayer especially for unity, because uh, this is true. Regardless of who's in the White House, Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Benito Mussolini, the king is on his throne. Amen. We, we are a member of a separate kingdom apart from the kingdom of the United States of America. And we care very deeply about the things that happen here. But our citizenship is in heaven. And something very, very important rests upon our unity under the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So again, we've heard a lot of words this past week. And, and I'm not sure what we need this morning is more words. I'm not sure what we need is more noise. I think what we need is prayer. I think what we need is worship. So what I want to do this morning, and if this is okay with you, is um, I want to be abbreviated in our time in the Word. I, I still want to dig into Romans. I think it's, it's very useful for us right now. But I, I, want to, I want to keep that time short so that we can prioritize at the end of this sermon a time of prayer and a time of worship. Because what we need right now is unity. There are lost people that need our unity. So with that said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to open up in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. And, uh, and what we're going to do is, is like last week, we want to honor the Word of God. We're going we're gonna to read it together. So go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, um, I will read for us. But now, Paul says, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This is the righteousness to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful uh, to be a part of a church body that loves the gospel and loves the word of God. I pray that you would illuminate that word to us and drive us to, to prayer um, for our unity and, and for the sake of our church, for the sake of our joy, 
and for the joy of the nation around us. We ask that you would show us who we are this morning and show us that we are more alike than unalike. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, one thing I love about church is that there is a wide diversity of perspectives in this room. We have a wide diversity of people who are here. Um, Morgan, I see you over there. Morgan, how old are you? Seven. Roland, how old are you? Yeah, good man. We have Morgan and Roland, right? 55 and 7. Widely different life experiences, but I know that Morgan is a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. She prayed to accept Christ just not too long ago and is planning on being baptized yet. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. And I know that the same is true of Roland. Roland has a completely different life experience than Morgan. It doesn't stop with age in here either. We have different ethnicities present. We have different languages present. We have different worldviews present. So if I were to say the word President Biden this morning, that's going to cause a lot of different reactions from people in our church, both online and in person. Some of you guys hear that and you say, we don't have a President Biden. We're waiting on all the votes to be counted. We're waiting on lawsuits. We're waiting on the Electoral College. Others of you hear that and you say, yes, President Biden, praise God. We have widely different perspectives. We have Morgan and we have Roland. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ is the body of Christ is a knit together group of people who who have very different perspectives, but one common shared belief. And that is this audacious belief that a once dead carpenter is now king and is coming back to rule the earth. We believe that. And that is a far more radical thing to believe than anything we could believe about politics. Those things do matter. They are incredibly important. But if we're going to create a church for Morgan, in which Morgan can grow and follow Jesus and tell her friends about Jesus Christ, in which Morgan can lead among us and teach us about who God is, then we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is that Jesus Christ is God's son and is coming back. I've spent, like I said, a lot of time uh, listening to noise this past week. I've been on Twitter, unfortunately, too much. Twitter is an ungodly place. But there's all kinds of hot takes on there that are worthy of our attention. And one that I saw was uh, from a prominent Christian pastor who said that our church, along with our country, has never been more divided. That we have 70% of our church watching online, 30% here in person. We have half or or more voting for Trump, and we have another section voting for Biden. We have widely different opinions about masks and about how we approach doing church right now. And he said the church has never been more divided. That's foolish. That's dumb. I'm not going to say who the pastor is that said that. It was Pastor Aaron. Uh, it was, no, but that's a, that's a dumb take. And here's why, because if you're familiar with this book and if you've read the New Testament, you can see that our church has always been a widely divided group of people. We have these fantasies about the early church that it was somehow, uh, somehow this butterflies and unicorns movement where everyone got along and, and did the same things and, and there was no trouble. But if you read the New Testament, you know that nothing could be further from the case. And nothing is further from the case than in the church of Rome. So we are continuing our journey through the gospel of, or sorry, not the gospel, the letter of Romans to the church at Rome. And I think it's important for us right now to take a brief moment. We're at chapter 3 and just get a little history lesson about the church of Rome. Can I do that? Okay, so the church of Rome did not start in Rome. 
It started in Jerusalem. So what most scholars believe is that the Jewish community that worshiped in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost, that gathered from around the world, when they heard Peter speak the gospel in their language, they took it home with them. So the Roman Jewish believers heard the gospel in perhaps colloquial Latin or Greek and took it back to Rome, and the gospel began to grow just months after Jesus Christ was resurrected from the grave. And this community of Jewish believers got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in the, in the town of Rome, right? The cultural capital of the world. Here's the problem. The early Roman church was almost exclusively Jewish. That's how much of the early church was. It's because that movement started within the synagogues. It started within the rabbis. It started within Jewish communities. And so within the Jewish community of Rome, this gospel of Jesus Christ grew and grew and grew and grew. And it grew to the point where it was no longer comfortable to be a Jew in Rome that believed in Jesus or one that did not believe in Jesus. So what historians tell us is that around the time of AD 47, there were riots all throughout Rome within Jewish communities. And the reason for these riots was a person named Crestus. Does that name sound familiar? What name does that sound like? Christ, right. So historians apart from scripture and apart from the Bible tell us that around AD 47, there were riots in Rome among Jews because of Christ to the point where Emperor Claudius said, okay, I don't know what y'all are doing over there. Look, you're talking about this guy that's dead and he's coming back and and he's coming back to earth and he's the king, whatever about him. Y'all can't be rioting in Rome. I want every Jew out of Rome. Leave now. So that's what Claudius did. He kicked all the Jews out of Rome in AD 47, and that killed the Roman church. No, it did not. You can't kill a church. That's not how it works. What happened next was very strange. What happened next was this gospel that was almost exclusively for Jews began to trickle out to the pagans, began to trickle out to the Gentiles, so that people who had no root in the Old Testament law began to hear about salvation through this rabbi carpenter king and decided they wanted to follow that message. So the church grew and it 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 was comprised of Gentiles. So much so that when the Jews finally returned to Rome after Claudius' death, they walked into their church, the church they had started, the church they had founded and planted, and they could not recognize it. Who are these people? They eat barbecue. They eat shrimp cocktail. They wear garments made of different fabrics. They don't celebrate the Sabbath. Who are these people? They've never read the Old Testament. Their values are different from ours. They don't understand who God is or how to worship him or much less how to be a community in Rome. So they walk into the church and they have been left behind. I wonder how many of you online or in person have ever had that feeling in a church. I've had that feeling in a church amongst a group of people that I love and care about, and sometimes a change in leadership or a change in demographics or a change in direction can make us feel left behind. Like a group of people that we loved are no longer with us. Some of you are feeling that right now in this church as we talk about politics. How in the world could someone here vote for Biden? Oh my gosh. Some of you feel that in the way we've handled the pandemic. Why, why in the world are, are people in there worshiping in person? You can feel left behind in times of separation. So Paul's task is immense. Paul is given a needle to thread. And here's the needle. 
He's got to speak over here to my Gentile audience and say, you are loved. You are saved by grace and you are just as much a part of this community as the Jews. And at the same time, he's going to walk over here and say, you guys gave us the law. You gave us our church plant. You were the one that started this. And God loves you and has embraced you here. And here's how the Old Testament works in relation to this faith. He's got two groups of people that he has to unite under one common cause. Does that sound familiar? Nope, she says. Let's see. That's the history of the Church of Rome. That's the letter that Paul is writing. And so here's what he says. He says something that's radical to these groups of people in a time that's marked by incredible division, by ethnicity and preference. Paul says this, verse 21. This thing you have debated so much, the law. What do we do with this set of rules that we've been told to obey? Jews, you guys want to keep obeying it. I understand. It's important to you. Let's not minimize that. But let's talk about the law. Verse 21, he says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, if you have your Bible, open it up. Verse 21, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. He goes on to say, This righteousness, apart from the law, has been given through what? Through faith. Not works. Not the fact that you guys have a big church and your faith has grown, or sorry, your church has grown and your community has grown. Not by works but by faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then he says something wild. He drops a bomb in Rome. He says, there is therefore no difference between Jew and Gentile. Let that sink in for just a second. That would have been wildly inappropriate in the church of Rome. Jews, there's no difference between you and Gentiles. Yes, I know you have celebrated a completely different way of life for your entire life. I know you sailed across the sea to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. I know you've never eaten pork. I know you've separated yourself from your community, but you are the same as the Gentiles. You're the same. And Gentiles, you guys are the same as the Jews because something has happened apart from the law. Righteousness of God is on display that unites us together. And here's how he says why. And this is my encouragement for you this morning. Christians are more alike than unalike for two reasons. Verse 23, reason number one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. At its surface value, that doesn't seem so unifying. Hey, we've all sinned. Great, let's stick together. But it is, and here's why. This is the DNA that we all share. All of us in this room, all of us in the world. It's not just us in this room and online that share that. It's all of us in the entire world. It's the DNA that unites Joseph Biden and Donald Trump. It's what unites Colin Allred and Genevieve Collins and Mr. Rogers and Howard Stern. We all share this in common, that we have made horrible mistakes, that we have hurt people around us, that we have hurt ourselves, and we have dishonored God with the things that we have thought, said, or done. This is true. Every three-year-old child knows this, right? That, that we make mistakes, that we are sinful people who have fallen away from the truth of God. This unites all of us together. And what it should do, too often it doesn't, what it should do is push us to a point of humility. Have you ever considered you could be wrong? I could be wrong with who I voted for. I could be wrong with how I'm looking at this passage. 
I could be wrong with the way I view church in the community of the saints. I could be wrong with the way I mediate conflict in my family. I could be wrong about a lot. Because like the rest of the world, I'm a sinner. (laughs) I could give you a list from this past week. I mess up. And Paul says that unites all of us. That's something that Gentiles, Jews, we all share in common is that we're all sinners. And he uses the first three chapters of Romans to get us there. So if you've been listening with us, either online or in person, and, uh, and you've been journeying through, us, uh, through Romans with us, you've heard Pastor Aaron and Cameron talk about the first three chapters. Chapter one, Paul puts his attention on the Gentiles. And he says, Gentiles, hey, uh, let's, talk about, let's talk about God. Let's talk about righteousness. Can we all just agree y'all are really messed up? And the Jews are like, yeah, they're messed up. Yeah, can we agree that you guys had the truth of God? You exchanged it for a lie. Isn't it, it's silly that you worship like idols, right? That's not God. And yes, you could say you didn't know the law and that's, okay, that's plausible. But you had a law written on your heart. Like you knew what you were doing was wrong when you sinned against your mother. And you knew what you were doing was wrong when you sinned against the emperor. And so that's chapter one. And then chapter two, he runs over to the Jews. And he says, Jews, I love you guys. Man, thank you again. Thank you for entrusting the faith to all of us. Thank you for bringing it to the Gentiles. But y'all really messed up, right? Can we admit? Yeah, can we admit that, that the Jewish community, even though you guys had the law, and, and man, it was a beautiful law, it did great things for you. It drove you to righteousness. It drove you to a better life. Could you guys obey the law? And they all said, no, no, we can't obey the law. Yeah, you tried and you can't. Yeah, it's true. We tried and we can't. And then at the beginning of chapter three, he brings it to all of us. And he says, okay, all right, let's all get together. Church of Rome, huddle up. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, maybe the psalmist says it best. And he says, uh, there is no one righteous. No, not even one. All of us have sinned, right? And the church in Rome are saying, okay, yeah, we believe that. That's true. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page. So the first three chapters of Rome, Paul has gotten us lost. He's taken us out in the woods. He's blindfolded us. He's spun us around. And he said, get out of here. But we're lost. We've all sinned. How are we going to know God? And that's the beauty of chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. It's not enough to say, let's be unified because we sin. That's a poor call to unity. What God has done is he's created a new group of people out of the old. You share half your DNA with the world. Half of it. We're sinners. Did you know we share half of our DNA with bananas? This is true. You'll see this come out on memes every once in a while, but that human beings and bananas or banana trees share half of their genes. That's kind of a misleading claim. Morgan, do you feel like a banana? No, she didn't feel like a banana. Because we know that human beings are nothing like bananas, right? We have half of our genes in common with plants and trees because we create sugars the same way. We metabolize them in a similar way. We deal with waste in a similar way. We are similar to plants because we have half of our DNA in common. But we are nothing like plants. It's the same is true with the world. Though you share half of your DNA with them, that we're all sinners, our kingdom is not their kingdom. We are not them. Yes, we are a part of them, but God has called us to something different. And so I want to encourage you to be very skeptical anytime a kingdom out there calls for your allegiance above a kingdom in here. Right? Because half is not enough. And Paul gives us the other half in verse 24. He says, verse 23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. But 24, this is the beautiful part. 
all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Okay, so the two things that unite us, the two things that make us as Christians more alike than unalike, Paul says, we've all sinned, but we've all been justified freely. Whereas one moves us towards humility, the other should move us towards charity. And here's what he says. This is, this is such an important passage to deconstruct. This is a passage that has been widely debated within Christianity. You may not know it. If you've been around the church for long, you may. But verses 21 through 26 are some of the most hotly contested verses in the entire Bible because they get closest to what actually happens when we place our faith in Jesus. Have you ever wondered, okay, like, why, God? Like, why did you choose this as the way we get saved? <laughs> Do you ever wonder, okay, why, God? Like, why did it have to be like this? Well, verses 21 through 26 explain that. And we could get in the weeds we could dig into the rest of the verses here and we could say, okay, well, are we, are we justified by the faithfulness of Christ or faith in Christ? Are we justified by actually the blood or like, is it a metaphor? We could get in those weeds. But I think it'd be better for us to stick to the basics this morning because that's our call to unity. I had a prof who described it like this. Uh, Romans chapter three is a lot like pulling up the hood of your car. So you don't need to know how a car works to drive a car, right? Praise God. I would be in trouble. <laughs> My engineer father hates when I say that, but I would be in trouble. Um, you don't need to know how a car works to drive a car, but you need to know how to push on the gas and push on the brake and how to turn the steering wheel. That's a lot how faith is. You don't need to ask, necessarily know and ascertain what Christ is doing on the cross, but you do need to have faith in Jesus. Well, what Paul's about to do is lift the hood on the car and say, okay, there's an engine in there. Let me tell you about that engine. And he takes apart the carburetor, and he takes off the engine block and shows you the cylinders. He says, here's how it all works. But at its base level, there is an engine in here, and there, here is the engine. This is the one thing we share in common. He says it in verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. It's a big churchy word, atonement. What's that mean? Well, when Paul says at the Church of Rome, there is a group of people that jump up and say, we know what that means. And that's the Jewish believers in Rome. They say, we know what that means. Let us tell you about atonement. So in the Old Testament, God had a process he had his people go through called the Feast of Atonement. It's in the book of Leviticus. And what would happen is once a year, the faithful Israelite congregation would gather together. They'd confess their sins before God. And they would ask that God take away and not remember those sins. And God had a process for that. He would have the high priest take a bull and a goat and another goat and take those animals into the temple or the tabernacle to offer as sacrifices. And he would first kill the bull and shed its blood. And he would take that blood into the Holy of Holies and put it on the altar. And what he would do is he would pray, Lord, cover your people's sins as this altar is covered in the blood of the sacrifice. And then he would kill the goat. And he would do a similar thing with it. And then they would take the blood and put it on the last coat and send it out into the wilderness and say, may our sins be upon this. And such that one goat was allowed to live, but one died. And therein is the metaphor that Paul tells us. So real simply, here's the engine. Kids, if you're in here, you can listen to this. This is something that my dad explained to me when I was six years old. Here's the engine of how our faith works and how we are all drawn together no matter what background. All of us have sinned. God is righteous. God is good. 
My dad said, it's like God's up here, you're down here, and you can do good things. Yeah, you can honor your father and mother. You can be kind to your sister. You can listen to your Sunday school teacher. And as you do these things, you look more and more like God. But the truth of the matter is, you're not God. And there's always things that separate you from being as good as he is. There was one person that was as good as him, and that's Jesus. So we as Christians, if you're not a believer, we as Christians believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died for us, though he didn't have to. We believe that death is only a result of our sins, but Jesus died so that instead of being down here, God looks at us with the blood of Jesus on us, like in that atonement, and he sees us up here. So that for all of us who believe and say we are sinners and ask Christ to save us somehow in a mysterious way, I don't understand it. God sees us as as righteous as Christ and as worthy of eternal life. And that's where Paul goes with these two very different groups of people. He goes on to say, He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Gentile believers, you guys think you can justify yourself? Jews, you think you can justify yourself? No. You're talking about the wrong things. Jesus justifies us. Republicans and Democrats, Jesus justifies us. Maskers, no maskers, Jesus loves us. He justifies us. He is our righteousness. So the two things that unite us, Christians are more alike than unalike. Number one, we've all sinned. That should drive us towards humility. Number two, we've all been justified freely. That should drive us towards charity, towards one another. Because we're supposed to act like Jesus, right? We're supposed to justify others freely. Uh, I, I want to close, and again, I want to spend some time in prayer this morning, but I, I want to close uh, by showing you something that um, has always fascinated me since I was a child. Um, and I actually took some clippings uh, to bring into this room. And I'm putting on gloves, and the reason will become apparent here soon. And I'd like to go ahead and ask Caleb if he wants to come up and, and begin laying down a pad on the piano. Um, I brought two different clippings this morning. They're in this bag. Uh, they fell out this morning for first service. Hopefully they won't second. But I have two plants, and I'd like for you guys to help me identify them. Um, here is the first one. Can anyone tell me what this is? Whoa, where was it? Who said it? Poison ivy. Thank you, Roland. Those 55 years have served you well. Poison ivy. That's exactly right. How can you tell, Roland? Amen, right? Amen. I learned to identify poison ivy very early on as a child because like Roland, I've spent a lot of time in poison ivy. Uh, when I was a kid, I'd get it probably four or five times a year. So from the time I turned about seven years old, I learned to know what poison ivy was, how to identify it, and how to stay away from it because poison ivy made me itch. Now I have another plant here I'd like to show you this morning. Trimmed it just a few feet down from this one. Does anyone know what this is? This is poison ivy. It looks completely different. See how these leaves are, uh, are oppositely appropriated? See how they've got tooths in them? You see how they're smaller? See how these are big and shiny? They almost look like ash leaves or elder leaves. Uh, but these are actually both poison ivy. They were cut from the same plant. And uh, the reason I take this to you this morning is poison ivy looks really different depending on where you find it. I had a botanist professor in college who explained that of almost all plants on earth, poison ivy is one of the most morphologically disparate, meaning it can look 
like this in one spot and like this in another, and it's hard for us as people to tell the difference. And there's really no rhyme nor reason why. It just grows and looks really different. But these two plants had the same root. They had the same vine. They have the same genetic structure. They look completely different. Their priorities are different. This one stays close to the ground. This one goes up high. This is the way it is in the body of Christ. We here have different priorities, and those priorities are important, and they're worth pursuing. I'm not trying to downplay that. We've been created in different ways with different passions and different opinions, but we all have one thing in common. Poison ivy makes you itch. We are to make the world itch for the gospel. Amen? That's our purpose. We make the world itch for the gospel. There's a world out there that's dying and hurting, and Satan would love nothing more than to divide us in God's church. He would love nothing more than to separate the Jews from the Gentiles in Rome. He would love nothing more than to separate us here now. But there are souls on the line. There is eternities on the line for people who need to know Jesus Christ. So don't forget, we are the same. We are more alike than unlike. As Christians, we are sinners. We have been justified freely. And we have a common purpose. To make a mitch. Roland, can you come grab this for me? <laughs> We're going to enter into a time of prayer. And, uh, and in that time, I just want to encourage us as believers. We're going to pray for three things. We're going to pray individually for ourselves. And encourage you to pray that God would reveal uh, any strongholds in your life, that he would give us humility. We're going to pray for unity in our church. We're going to thank God for the beautiful things he's doing here. Man, I wish I had time to tell you the stories of the things that have happened in the past month at Dallas Bible Church. God is bringing life from death. And then thirdly, we're going to pray for our nation because we need to. Our nation needs it. So the first thing I'm going to do is I am going to ask that we just take a moment of reflection uh, every head bowed and eye closed and come before the Lord and I want to ask you to pray that God would reveal in your heart anything that you need to examine for yourself and, and give you humility. Holy Spirit, we are flawed people. You see our lives more clearly than anyone around us does and more clearly than we do. So I pray, God, that charity, that charity would be what defines us in humility. That we would look honestly at ourselves. That we would be humble with those around us. We know that Jesus Christ himself humbled himself to a death on the cross for our sakes. May we humble ourselves to a death on Facebook or a death in our auditorium or a death in our living rooms or Thanksgiving tables. Help us to be humble. It's in Christ's name. I'm going to invite uh, David and Mary Yarborough. David's one of our elders here at DBC. You guys can come on up. Um, they're going to lead us through a time of collective prayer. And if you are a family here this morning, uh, if you have children, 
um, who are younger and you would like to lead them in prayer out loud, I highly encourage that. Um, if you've got husband or wife here and you would like to pray with them out loud, highly encourage that. I know that can be kind of awkward in a silent room. Um, you're also welcome to pray silently within your heart. So uh, David and Mary, I'm going to turn it over to you. Asked the Lord uh, to show, share a verse with you this morning. He led me uh, to Paul's um, prayer for the church in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesians 3, 14 through oh, about 20. Um, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I am convinced that if we can worship, truly be worshipers of God and bow before him daily, pouring ourselves out and understand that kind of love that he has for us, the more intimate relationship we have with him, the more we're going to love one another. So I invite you now to just uh, spend some time in prayer and ask the Lord to to reveal that love for you in your heart. Father, I just, what a privilege it is to um, usher in my beloved Dallas Bible Church into your presence. And we just acknowledge right now that the only way that we can stand in your presence is because of Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross on our behalf. We are unveiled, unhindered in your presence as your children, O oh Lord. Father, now as we come before you as a church, I pray for this, this local body that can come around one another, those who are wounded, those who are hurting. Lord, I pray that we would learn to sit with one another like Jesus sits with us. How he binds our wounds, oh Lord. Help us learn to bind one another's wounds to be like Jesus. And Father, I just pray for those who are trapped in sin cycles, as many of us have, oh Lord. I pray that, that you would speak truth into them through the power of your spirit that they've not gone too far. And that we would offer grace to those who have wandered and gone out of the bounds. 
pray, Father, that they would just cry out to you in repentance. It's all it takes. Your grace has gone far beyond where they think they've gone too far. And so, Lord, help us love well. And, Lord, I pray that we as a church body here will be poured out, sold out, and completely surrendered to you in dependence on you so that we can be those oaks of righteousness that display your splendor. And that's all anybody sees is you and your glory. Father, we thank you for who you are to us. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's his name we pray. And through the power of the spirit of Jesus that lives in each one of us. Amen. morning. It's good to see everyone. Um, just as I, uh, Aaron asked me this week if I would pray for our country, uh, for unity, and obviously uh, if, if you've been awake this week, you've seen that we're not very unified. That's uh, it's obvious. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, what am I going to do? You know, of course, Zane, when they asked him to preach, he went to Twitter. So I guess the first thing I did, I went to uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram, and I really didn't find any ideas about unity there. So I, I thought, well, I'll take, I'll check out YouTube. Maybe that'll work. So uh, I found a, a message by our brother Tony Evans about the power of unity, and um, in it he talked about uh, John 17, Jesus's prayer, and he prayed for us. And also, it has a lot to do with the Word, and if we want to find truth and unity, we need to go to the Word. There's not a social media site that really fits the bill. There's not a broadcast station that fits the bill. There's not a politician. There's only one truth, and it's in the Word. And so in Jesus, in in, uh, John 17, he asked the Father, he said, Father, make them one as we are one. Unify them. We find unity together in Jesus through the power of his spirit. He prayed for us to be one as he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. So can we spend some time at this point in time and pray that for our nation and our church and our families? Our Father God, I just uh, thank you for the love that you've shown to, to us um, through your Son, Jesus Christ, through the, his death, burial, and resurrection. That just is simply believing in him, 
through the power of your grace, we might have eternal life. And we might have abundant life through the power of your spirit here on earth. And Father, I just pray for unity as, a, as, a, as your people in this nation and that we would live for the kingdom that uh, Zane talked about, that is, this is not our kingdom. We're, we're from your kingdom. And Father, I pray that we would be unified and that unity in the midst of all of our differences would be a beacon and a light that will draw people to you. Father, we trust you. We love you. Uh, we love this nation. We love this church. And we love our families. And we just pray that you would bless us and keep us and encourage us and protect us through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name.